Hello and welcome to the Her Product Lab podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Masterson. Her Product Lab is a community of motivated women in product management who want to help each other learn and grow. Each Friday, we do virtual live sessions where we get to tap into the experiences of women who work in product to help us with our careers. And then we turn those into podcast episodes. So today's episode, like always, is taken from one of those live sessions, which means we do get questions and comments from our live virtual audience. And you could be a part of one of those live sessions, just go to herproductlab.com. This podcast was our conversation with Sharnice Huff. Sharnice is completing a product manager rotation with the YouTube main app team. In this role, she focuses on improving the YouTube experience on tablets and bringing fun, creative moments to YouTube. Before the product management rotation program, she held roles on Google's trust and safety team, google.org, which is Google's philanthropic wing and at YouTube helping it to combat harmful content on their platform. Prior to Google, Sharnice was a senior public sector technology consultant for IBM, working with government agencies to solve complex system security and technical system infrastructure challenges. And before we get into that, don't forget to also follow us on Instagram at Her Product Lab. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sharnice. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm really excited to be here. And we're just going to start off. I know we just kind of read a lengthy bio, but you could fill in the gaps a little bit by telling us uh, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Shani Huff, and I'm a native of Philadelphia and an HBCU grad. I attended Spelman College located in Atlanta, Georgia. It is an all-women's historically Black college where I earned my Bachelor of Science in Computer and Information Science. Uh, right after graduation, I started my career in consulting because I really wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do with my computer science degree. And I ended up at IBM as a senior IT consultant working in the public sector in Washington, D.C., which basically means I focused on a lot of government contracts. After a few years there, I was recruited by Google to work as an analyst in their trust and safety department for focusing on ads. And after some time there, I moved on to YouTube, where I was an abuse product specialist. And today I am a product manager rotator on the YouTube main app. So YouTube has a number of apps, YouTube TV, YouTube Creator, YouTube Kids, but the app that I know you guys all know, love, and use, we refer to as the main app. Yeah, I am an avid user. I mean, we were talking about it before. Like I am a YouTube premium member because I don't, I need to be able to like get off of the app and do other things and still listen to my videos or not have ads. So, um, when the, I get the notification every, what is it, every week your phone gives you the notifications of how many hours you spend on apps, YouTube is unfortunately probably too high, but it's fine. It's fine. I've learned a lot, so it's okay. <laughs> I use it, people call it YouTube University, and I do use it for that. <laughs> um, but anyway, when you graduated college, you had never heard of product management. So how did you come to find out what that was? I learned about product management in my role as an analyst at Google. My team regularly consulted with a group of product managers on anti-abuse issues. It was my job to analyze data to draw out abuse trends and insights um, on abuse that we were seeing on the ad platform. And I was regularly paired with a product manager named Flory. She would leverage the data that I would provide in order to figure out how to make our ad platform much more safer for our advertisers. Flory was amazing. She was so intelligent. She got to work on really complex problems. And throughout my experience in tech, I had worked with a lot of women who were in strategy, operations, HR, and that was my first time seeing a woman up close lead a product team and work very closely with engineers. 
So I sat down with Lori for a coffee chat and really figured out her journey, what her work scope looked like as a product manager, um, why she was motivated to be in that space. And it really planted a seed for me for an interest in product management there. And not only had, when you graduated, never heard of product management, it wasn't offered at your college and a lot of colleges. How did you fill in those gaps to kind of learn quickly and learn on the job? So I would describe myself as a continuous learner. I love learning. I'm always seeking out different ways to figure out how to gain more knowledge um, in different areas that I care about. So the first thing that I did was a bit of self-study. So I um, spent a lot of time reading books around product management, watching videos around what product managers do in their scope. Uh, I listened to the How I Built This podcast quite often to learn about different um, how different brands and products were built and challenges that they faced in doing so. I also leaned into the different technical aspects of my job. So for example, last year I worked on a project that incorporated machine learning and my product team partnered with a group of data scientists. And I really wanted to learn much more about how these models were built. So I have a friend named Takunda who is phenomenal, has an advanced degree in data science, and he spent a lot of time with me really helping me understand how these models are built and leveraged in the product. It allowed me to learn a lot on the back end of how this product was being built. So I would say I did that a lot in my career, just talking to people that had nothing, by the way, to do with my actual job on the team, but it helped me learn a lot. The second or third thing now that I would say that I did was leverage relationships. So Google has an atmosphere where we are, like people love to share their knowledge. So I spent a lot of time just talking to people, figuring out you know, where they were experts and how I could leverage that knowledge. And finally, I hired a coach. I have an amazing product manager coach. Her name is Blair Presley. Uh, she's phenomenal and has been great along my journey. And, uh, you know, product management is very complicated to get into. It can be really nuanced and competitive. And Blair has helped me figure out what I need to know. We love Blair. We talked with her back in January, or beginning of January. She's our first one of this year. Absolutely love her. She's amazing. Um, but at what point or how did you get to the point where you could have an uh, effective conversation with your engineer? So as I mentioned, my degree is in computer science. I have a really strong uh, foundational understanding of technology and computer science concepts. And that's really the basis of what you need to have a great and competent conversation with engineers. That seems to be, I know that has been a conversation a lot of when we've had these conversations with product managers and, and people in the product world, that's been their conversation a lot is how they get to that point where they can have that conversation and which is awesome. But what would you recommend for others that are gearing up to starting in a product role? So the first thing that I would recommend is that you gain a strong foundational understanding of technology and computer science concepts. And I would highly recommend Harvard's free course called CS50. It is about a 17 week course um, that gives you a great overall foundation of how to build up those skills. I even retook that course as like a refresher when I was gearing up and getting ready for my product role. I would recommend that you do some research to figure out what type of product management you're actually interested in. Is it software? Is it hardware? What type of product manager would you like to be? And then once you figure that out, I would recommend that you conduct the skills gap analysis. And you can do this by going on LinkedIn and looking at different job roles and figuring out, okay, like what skills do I have and which ones don't and I need to gain? Or what skills do I have that I need to improve upon? So I did that myself. Uh, the next thing I would recommend is that you find a group and community of product managers or people in your organization who can help you pivot into product management full time. Um, so they might be sponsors who could advocate for your work in rooms that you're not in, or they could just be someone that you can talk to to figure out how to build up even more skills to be effective in your organization. 
The last thing I recommend is to not wait for a formal title uh, to get started on the work that you really care about and that you're passionate about. I would say that arguably some of my best contributions to the organizations that I've belonged to have been those in which I've done things that had nothing to do with my job at all. Uh, I was just very passionate about it and I didn't wait for permission for people to say, it's okay, Chinese, you can work on your passion project so you can solve that problem. I love that. That kind of attitude is, oh, I've noticed is almost like a consistent through a lot of our guests on this that are doing so well in the product world. That you don't wait for somebody to hand you the job that you want. You kind of just start doing it and then it kind of finds you along the way, which is amazing to, to hear that so many people have found their way through product that way. But being a, a woman in product is real, rare. And of course, and being a woman of color in product is even more rare. How has that shaped your journey throughout the years? Uh, so I would say that being a black woman in product and black woman in tech has shaped my journey in a myriad of ways. The first one being that it's really forced me to be comfortable being uncomfortable and sit in discomfort. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm a native of Philadelphia and I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood. I went to a historically black college on purpose and most of my community consisted of black people before I joined tech. So when I joined IBM, for example, and walking into a room, for the first time as the only, the only black woman, the only black person. Uh, it was really intimidating very early on in my career and it made it really hard for me to speak up and be vocal. And I've come to use that now as a superpower. I am able to bring a unique perspective to the room, to solutioning and for products. I would also say that it has made me have a really high discernment for which products and teams that I work on. I prioritize and would like to normalize inclusion in all products and policies and processes within uh, my company. And so um, that is how I lead with inclusion at the helm and, and not even just including people of color, but emerging markets as well. Uh, so I would say that those are the ways in which it has allowed me to uh, really shape my journey, as well as bringing a standard of excellence to everything that I do, knowing that, you know, sometimes I might join a team where engineers have never worked with a black woman as a product manager. And so I want their experience with me to be excellent because I don't want them to think that, you know, because they hadn't seen someone that looked like me, that we are not capable of leading effectively. So I would say those are the ways in which my journey has really been shaped by being a Black woman in tech. You're listening to the Her Product Lab podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Masterson. If you want to be a part of one of these virtual live sessions that we have each Friday, go to herproductlab.com and sign up for one of our future events. And you can get your questions answered from one of our experts. Again, go to herproductlab.com to see the schedule and take part of one of these virtual live sessions. And kind of expanding on the point that you made before is that you diversity is always at the helm and you're choosing which teams to be a part of. What steps would you recommend for other companies who are interested in recruiting more diversity? While recruitment is huge, I would take a step back first and say that like companies, I would encourage them to take care of home first. And what I mean by that is look internally at the people of color and diversity hires that you have within your ranks and make sure that you are fostering a sense of belonging there so that you can actually retain that talent that you have already within your ranks. And then the next thing that I recommend in focusing on recruitment is that they make sure that all of their interviewers have unconscious bias training and that they also are tweaking the thinking of their interviewers. A lot of times people are looking for culture fit. Instead of looking for culture fit for someone that's a minority, you wanna look for culture add. How are they gonna be able to come into my organization and add to the existing culture and make it better? The next thing I would recommend for these companies is to um, attend and support conferences that are led by 
minority companies such as Afrotech is a popular conference. I think that attending, sponsoring, and supporting these types of events allows companies to understand that the unique challenges that these underserved communities are going through and how they could potentially address them with their technology or their company. And finally, look at their localization strategy. So I think COVID-19 has showed us that everyone doesn't need to be in Silicon Valley to have a strong impact on the tech world. And people of color want to have a full life outside of the office. So I hope as we continue to heal from COVID as a, a country and the world, that we continue this inclusive practice of knowing that people can be anywhere and have a strong impact on this space. It, it doesn't have to be in the bubble of Silicon Valley. I know there are a lot of companies who have already said that they're going to allow people to work remotely rather than having to be in the office, which is a great opportunity to then hire people, like you said, not in that small little bubble. You can get people from all over the world now working on these projects from wherever they are because the technology is available. And now, finally, a lot of companies were kind of forced to use it, but it's become a benefit now to kind of expand their reach and their capabilities and their hiring abilities, which is awesome. At YouTube, you focus on trust and safety. Can you tell us what that means? The Trust and Safety Organization is focused on developing new and innovative ways to keep users safe on our platform. That is from policy to cutting edge technology and machine learning tools. I joined uh, Google as a part of the Trust and Safety Organization focusing on ads. And at YouTube, I was an abuse product specialist, and I was focusing with the product team, figuring out how we could combat harmful content on the platform. I mean, I've been a fan of YouTube since it, it started. And the content, the way it's changed and it has grown from its beginnings to now is, uh, is amazing. And I could just imagine how exhausting that type of project would be to make sure there's no harmful content because of the influx of content. I mean, it's just infinite now. So yeah, that seems like a very exhausting job. <laughs> yeah, it's a really tough space, um, but I loved it because as I mentioned, I'm a continuous learner and we are always facing different complex challenges over there. And we have to think through solutions that are going to be inclusive, not only for the U.S., but for the scale of YouTube. And so it's a very interesting space. I've loved working in trust and safety. Now, how do you leverage data to make product decisions? Yes, yeah, so um, Google is a data-driven company, as everyone knows, and so data guides everything that we do. But I want to talk about three different ways that I use data currently to make product decisions. The first is by looking at the current state of our users yeah. and how we can improve upon things. So at YouTube, we have three basic user demographics that we care a lot about. That's our advertisers, our creators, and you, our viewers. And so whenever we're about to make introduce a new feature or make a product change, we like to look at what is the current state that's going on? What are users asking for? Where are problems that we see? The second thing is that we like to focus on experiments. So YouTube has around 2 billion users per day on our platform. So it's a huge scale. And we need to make, we don't just like roll out a big feature to the whole world at the same time. We like to launch experiments. And so data usually tells us the health of the experiment. How well is it going? Is it, is the feature performing the way that we thought it would? And lastly, we like to look at data after the fact, after we launch. Did this make the change that we thought it would? Are users loving this? So we look at like uh, qualitative data to figure out if users are actually liking the features that we launched. Now, how do you use data for risk mitigation? Uh, it would pretty much be around the same way that I just described, except for we do a lot more experiments. And um, when we're looking at risk mitigation, that experiment data is really crucial. So if we're trying to, for example, in trust and safety, combat harmful content on the platform, we, we might look at two different solution options and see which one is best. 
And then if one solution is performing better than the other, then we will expand the experiment. But otherwise, you know, we might kill both solutions if they're they're not effective. So I would say we use experiments a lot for risk mitigation as well as the types of data that we collect. Now, can you talk to us about launch and iterate and agile and waterfall teams? Yeah, so Agile software development is an iterative and incremental approach to software development. It usually breaks the project down into sprints and allows you to move really quickly. Waterfall methodology for software development is more linear and sequential. It takes a lot longer and it usually breaks the project down into phases. I would not say one is exactly better than the other. It really depends on how you're using them. I've noticed that when we are trying to launch something quickly and move fast, we will use Agile. But if something has a longer launch runway, like we will use Waterfall. And in my experience at Google and YouTube, most teams usually use a hybrid of this. How have you leveraged data for A-B testing? So A-B testing is usually when you're testing one situation against another. It's used in a lot of different industries. I've seen it most commonly used in um, news reporting when they want to test like Will one headline get more people to come to a website versus another? And in product, we will use it for product solution A versus product B, similar to what I just described around our experiments that we run to figure out what is going to be the best solution for our users. And so I have leveraged A-B testing in the past to just test out different solutions to see which one will perform the best. Can you tell us about your PM fellowship at Google and how you leverage data to make product decisions there? Google.org is the philanthropic arm of Google, and they have a fellowship program that allows Googlers to work up to six months pro bono with nonprofits to solve some of their toughest challenges. It figures out where Google technology or our expertise can actually help these different organizations. And their approach is rooted in Google's overall mission, which is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. I was a product manager for six months with the Vera Institute of Justice. And that organization is focused on how to improve our justice systems and bring transparency to jail data uh, within the US. We, in collaboration with Vera, built a software system that allowed us to ingest and um, take in anonymized, anonymized up-to-date jail data. And this is really meaningful because the Bureau of Justice Statistics, the latest report from them usually is a couple of years old reporting on who is incarcerated in the US. And that is eons in a dynamic world of criminal justice reform. Gaps in data is usually the biggest problem advocates have because it's really hard to convince people to change things if you can't show how jail populations have changed over time. So having accurate up-to-date jail data becomes a very powerful tool to enact change. And that software system that we built um, helped to reduce jail populations during COVID-19 because it was able to show who was incarcerated in real time and for what and like why. And so um, I don't know if you know that, but during COVID, in order to you know, make sure people were more safe, people who had committed nonviolent crimes were able to be released early. And that data was able to be crucial in that for the US. It's also the, the best project that I've worked on at Google and what I am an area that I'm so passionate about. So I'm very proud of that work there. That is remarkable because I recently, I think it was on a YouTube video, learned this about how the percentage of Americans that are incarcerated compared to percentages in other countries. And it's a staggering number. And I, you don't, it's another thing you just don't think about until you see the data in front of you and you see, oh, this is, there's, there's some, something there that doesn't make sense if it's percentage wise compared to other countries and um, finding the root of it. But like you said, you don't, you can't find what the problem is unless you have the data in front of you and to have the data available to other people 
to then make that change, which is remarkable. And I, this is uh, the first time I've ever heard of Google.org. So this is a, a really amazing program that they have to help nonprofits. That's awesome. You're listening to the Her Product Lab podcast. I'm Chelsea Masterson. Make sure you're following us on Instagram. Go to Her Product Lab on Instagram or well, at Her Product Lab on Instagram. Follow us there and sign up for our email newsletter. Go to HerProductLab.com. Are there women or other people in your company who helped you to get to where you are today? Yes, so many people uh, within my organization have generously uh, invested time into me and helped me with my professional and career development. But I think I would like to call out three notable people who have really helped me get to where I am today. These people in their own right are public figures. They're amazing. You can Google them after this and find so many different resources about them. So I won't list out their long uh, accolades, but what I want to call out here that would be uh, valuable for viewers is that you should find mentors that can be an advocate and ally for you and champion of your work. That is the knowledge base. They're an expert in their field and you can learn from them and get coaching. Find someone that challenges you. So we all like to find people who validate us and who can be cheerleaders. And those people are very important, but you should have someone who challenges your thinking and forces you to be better. So my advocate and champion who has been there for me for many years now is Erin Teague. She is a director of product at YouTube. She is an exceptional leader who lifts as she climbs, and she has been an advocate for me. I met Erin a few years ago in New York City in our Google office um, while I was working on my Google.org fellowship, and I wanted to figure out how could I get into product management full-time at Google. And so Erin assigned me a lot of stretch opportunities that were highly visible to get my work out there and really became a champion and advocate for me in the company, as well as someone who could help me navigate the space. The second person who is my knowledge base and who is an expert in the field is Johanna Wright. So Johanna is a VP of product at YouTube and formerly a VP of product at Google. She worked on search and assistant and has made leaps and bound contributions to the product space, Google and the world for the search experience that you enjoy today on Google. She contributed so much there. Um, I got to work with Johanna last year on our YouTube racial justice work and she was an amazing coach for me. She lent so much knowledge to me and I'm so grateful for my time with her, as well as the fact that she made space for me and her organization for me to become a product manager rotator. So I'm really grateful to Johanna. And the last person who has challenged me at every point is Christos Goodrow. Christos is a VP of engineering. I also got to work with him last year on our racial justice work. He is known for his principled approach to solutions and his advanced technical expertise. And he really challenged me on a proposal that I put forth. It really forced me to think about how does this fit with Google scale? How is this not gonna add to our processes that we already have? How is this really gonna help and be inclusive for all of our users? And his challenging me and being a really great sparring partner throughout the process really allowed me to put forth the best proposal that I could. I'm really thankful for him for all of the tough conversations and debates that we had around this particular proposal because it led to the best output. And I also would like to say that my relationship with all of these powerhouses really speak to the Google atmosphere and environment that is really flat. Our leaders really lean into great ideas, no matter what ranks of the company that they come from. When we were talking earlier this week and we were talking about mentors and sponsors, and you had brought up that people always look for mentors, but the, the term sponsor and, and finding that is, is a little bit less the term is less used and, and that whole thing. Can you just kind of expand on that a little bit? Because I know a lot of our audience are just getting into the product world. So I think that might be an important point for them. Yeah, so a sponsor for me is someone who can get into the rooms that you can't. 
Um, they're usually someone who can speak for you when you're not there. They know your work really well. They know your strengths. You have a great relationship with them and they're able to give you candid feedback uh, where you might think you're really great at something, but you might not be. And they're able to give you the information and coaching to help you be better. Um, and so I think that someone who is really helping push forth um, your goals are, is someone that is a sponsor. Whereas someone as a mentor, they don't ever, they don't even have to work at your company and they can just give you some type of guidance, right? But the person that's there, like I said, they're in those rooms that you can't get into and they're speaking for you when you're not there. And that is really crucial to have, especially when you're trying to make a big pivot in your career into something like product. I really love that you appreciate and you highlight somebody that's able to tell you maybe something that you're not good at that you think you are. Because uh, coming from the media world, I wish somebody early on had told me, maybe you don't want to do say that on air, or maybe you don't want to do this, whatever it was. And it took me a lot of learning it myself. And it would have been so much easier if I had somebody who was just honest and just said, hey, that doesn't sound so great. Maybe you should do something different. And in general, in life, it is good to have a person who will actually be honest with you because you can't grow unless you know what problems you have to fix along the way. Yeah, I agree. And I think the blind spots are huge. Uh, I worked with the senior group PM, Nick Barsley, uh, at YouTube last year for most of my time at YouTube, honestly. I, I call him like my tough love coach. Uh, I really thought like that I had some great skills in certain areas and Nick would sit down with me like we have to be honest. We have to do a SWOT analysis, like your strengths, your weaknesses, areas of improvement. And that really forced me to be better. I would say that I really leveled up in my career at YouTube because of Nick and the candid feedback that he gave me that really forced me to be better. It was very hard to hear a lot of times in the moment, but I knew that it was to push me to continue to be better. And I'm also very grateful for the relationship that I have with him as well. I always say there was somebody that I did a, a morning show with for a, a short period of time, and he would tell me just mostly what I was doing wrong, not what I was doing right, but mostly doing wrong. And whenever I talk about that time, I always say, I am who I am as on air because of Tom. Like I would not be as comfortable as I am or anything that without that person who just kind of really pushed me out of my comfort zone and told me, yeah, that's great, but this is what could be better. And having that person is, is amazing. And most people at least have that one person they could just call back and say, yeah, I wouldn't be who I was without insert person here, which is always incredible. And we have a comment here in our chat a book suggestion forget a mentor find a sponsor by sylvia ann hewlett so definitely a good resource uh for that so that about wraps it up thank you so much for joining us today sharni thanks for having me i'm so appreciative for the opportunity and thank you to everyone that joined to support i really appreciate it Thank you so much for listening to the Her Product Lab podcast. Make sure you get in on one of these live sessions. They're a lot of fun. It's our virtual live session that we have experts come on and share their experiences on a variety of topics and get your questions answered. Go to herproductlab.com for the schedule and to sign up for one of those sessions. And don't forget to also follow us on Instagram at Her Product Lab.